What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 16, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 19th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood, and I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is J.R. Parker, and we have an incredible conversation. And some highlights are stories that J.R. shares of his grandfather and the influence that his grandfather had on him, the opportunity that you and I will one day have as grandfathers, and to plan today for what that man will look like, and how our role as fathers will shift at each of the stages of our children. Enjoy meeting my friend, JR. All right, what is up, my friend? Stoked to have another rad conversation around fatherhood with my new friend, JR Parker. JR, how are you today? Hey, man, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm stoked, you know, uh, just to talk fatherhood, take a pause in the middle of the day and talk about something that matters deeply to both of us. Now, you were connected from a mutual friend, Jeff Goolsby, and when he was on the podcast, I asked him, hey, do you know a great dad you'd recommend to be on the show? And he said you. So why do you think that he would bring up your name when asked the question for a great dad referral? Oh, man. You know, I, I have no idea, but I as I kind of mentioned to you as we were beginning to chat, it's always humbling when you have a, a friend of yours and, and someone that you care about and respect that, especially on the topic of fatherhood, I know that, you know, fatherhood is very important to, to Jeff and I, and uh, and it was humbling when he said, oh, I think you're really, you know, killing this fatherhood thing, and you'd be a great guest on the podcast, uh, but, you know, he's he's a great guy, and, and he's a family guy, and so we really connected. It's kind of a funny story. I, I, I've, you know, uh, made friends with a couple different realtors. Jeff was my realtor and sold me our, uh, our house here in Granite Bay, but we really hit it off. And, you know, he's a, he's a really good guy. So question for you, you know, I'm sure just like most dudes who are showing up every day, trying to love their wives well, trying to love their kids well, uh, you know, whether you got business job, whatever that looks like, we can be pretty hard on ourselves, but from the outside perspective, Jeff looking in at your life or any dad for that matter, what are one or two things that you think if he was sitting around his table, he would say about you like, oh, you know, JR does X or JR does Y with your kids for your kids. What would those things be um, just so we could kind of like put our hands around why he would bring you up as a great dad? I think one of the things he probably would say is that, you know, certainly when him and I are, are uh, lucky enough to have a chance to get together, you know, I, we try to to get lunch regularly and, and the conversation always sort of gravitates to, you know, a, a few topics, you know, it's either mm -hmm. our kids or business or, you know, sort of what's going on. And, you know, the, the same thing that most people talk about that, you know, the economy and the politics, that kind of thing. But, you know, we always come back to our kids. And I think one of the things he would say is that for me, a constant theme is, is, you know, just giving my kids and having that, letting them know and having them know that, that they're loved and that they're supported and that they have an opportunity, you know, as far as their mom and I, and when they're at home, uh, you know, or wherever we may go, that they have the confidence to fail and, and to understand that mm. they, you know, have what it takes to fail and that we would never put them in a situation that they couldn't handle. Right. And I think that he'd probably say that, uh, you know, I, that's a constant theme for me, uh, you know, finding ways that I can uh, build up my kids, make them stronger and prepare them for failure. Right. I mean, I came up, uh, had a wonderful, amazing family, but we didn't have a lot of money, you know, and the the life that I live now and the life that my kids live from a financial standpoint, 
is so far removed from mm-hmm. what I ever imagined that I would be able to accomplish. Right. And so it's, it's a weird dichotomy because my wife and I talk about this all the time. If I were to take my kids back to where I grew up, they wouldn't, I mean, they, they just, you know, it's such a different universe for them. Right. And so you want them to, and that's what you want as a parent. You want to give them more and you want them to have sort of a better life, but at the same time, you know, you, you want them. I mean, that's one of the things for me that was a driving force. I wanted to be, uh, you know, I wanted to accomplish certain things. I wanted to have a, you know, financially secure sort of future. And that, and that really drove me as a, as a, you know, teenager, as a young adult to, you know, decide how I wanted my life to go and to work really hard to accomplish it. Well, my kids don't have to work at, that hard. Right. So you right. want the, <laughs> yeah, you so want hard. Yeah. And you want to foster that in them. Right. But, you know, you don't want to say, okay, well, I got where I got in life because I had to work really hard. So let me toss you into the deep end where things aren't that, you know, as comfortable as they are here. Uh, and hopefully you'll, you know, it'll drive you to succeed. So it's a really tough balance for parents, especially when you have reached, you know, a, a moderate level of, of success, right? You know, and your kids don't really realize what it took to get there, you know, and so that's, that's a constant back and forth. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a specific question about that. But before I do, I want to give everybody some context. So I'm going to come back to that um, in just one moment. So a couple of questions for context um, so that people understand who I'm talking to right here. How old do you find yourself today? I am 41, 41, 41. 41 almost coming up on 42 yeah, in January. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question about that too. Okay. So f- almost 42. And then uh, how many years you've been married? Oh gosh, we got married in 2011. Uh, so let's see. I guess that's what, 11 years, something like that. I'm, I'm a lawyer. Don't ask me to do math. <laughs> I, uh, we were to, you know, we were together uh, three years before we got married. So we're coming up on 15, 15 years total. Uh, and, you know, my wife is my, the, the best person that I've ever known, you know, and that, that was tough because I had, you know, my grandmother, and my grandfather were, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal people. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, now it's like, and I think that's, you know, that's how it's supposed to be, right? You, you have these great influences as a kid and, you know, now, you know, my world is centered around my wife and my kids and my wife is the best person that I've ever known. And so, you know, to my biggest fear in life is that I only have one life with her. Right. Cause I, I don't mm. know all the answers. Right. So yeah. I, you know, for me, I'm still trying to figure all that stuff out. And my, you know, short answer is I'll, I'll figure it out when I get there. But my biggest yeah. fear I'll share with you, Ned, my biggest fear in life is that I'm only going to get one life with my wife and kids. Right. And for me, that's, yeah. You know, that that's a rough one because my wife and my kids are, are my everything. So, yeah, we've been together for 15 years and uh, it's it's uh, going by fast. My friend, it goes by really quick. Yeah. Yeah. So when you said that, it, it, like I have chills now thinking about it. Um, this, you know, the biggest fear is I only have one life with her. Right. And, and say it, it, we don't know the answer for the afterlife. You know, like, what does that look like? We married, we not, am I with you? Yeah. But with that, it really gives us the, the, the reality, like that time is fleeting. And so it's, it's, you know, we look at our life and you and I are halfway through our life, most likely. Right. So we're halfway through, we, you know, tomorrow's not promised. We have today. So with that being your, your biggest fear slash, you know, like a, a motivator possibly for you, how do you make the most of the time you have with your wife and kids? Like, how do you keep that at the forefront of your mind when you do have, you know, you know, uh, you live in a fluent neighborhood, you're a lawyer, you, there's lots of stuff going on. There's things that you want. How do you keep that at the forefront of your mind so that, your effort, time, energy, finances, calendar reflects that they are the most important in your life. 
Well, and, and that's a constant thing, right? That I, as I have gotten into my early 40s, right? And hopefully many more years to go. But I think that it, it changes how you look at things, right? I remember whenever I was a young college student mm-hmm. and I had this view of the way my life was going to go. And it was much more professional driven. That's not to say I didn't want to have kids. And that's not to say I didn't want to have a wife, but I envisioned sort of this hard driving, hard charging professional career where I was just crushing, you know, business or law or politics or whatever. Yeah. Uh, You know, and now I find myself, I just want to buy my time back. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just, I just want to have more time with my wife and kids, you know, I want to go to more baseball games. I want to go to more national parks. I want to go, mm-hmm. you know, I want to show them the country. I want to take them to the East coast and I want to show them Annapolis and I want to show them West point. And I want to show them Yale and Harvard. And I just want them to see in the, you know, the Midwest, all these beautiful places we have in the country. I want them to have those experiences with us. And so my motivation, whenever I look at how short and fast time is, is, you know, I look at it like my oldest son, he's 10, you know, and it went by so fast. I mean, I remember bringing him home from the hospital. He was actually born at GW Hospital. That's a long story, maybe for another day. But, you know, uh, I could have hit my college apartment with a rock, you know, from where he was born and, and had no idea that we weren't living in D.C. at the time. My wife actually went into labor at one of my closest friends' weddings. Uh, and, and she's such a trooper, man. It was a DC storm that weekend knocked out all the power. Uh, she went to, it was an Orthodox Catholic service and it was so long. Uh, It was wonderful, but it was very long. Yeah. Yeah. Drug out. (laughs) Oh man. And I'm in the wedding, right? I'm on the stage in the wedding and, uh, her water breaks. And so she goes and takes care of things and, and comes back and sits down and watches the rest of the service. And I, I come off the stage and she says, you know, somebody said, you need to find your wife. She's gone into labor. We, I was stationed in Norfolk at the time. Okay. And we had driven up because they were very close to me and I wanted to be in the wedding. Right. So uh, anyway, we rush. Uh, I wanted I didn't want them to be born in Maryland. So I said, let's rush over to D.C. So we jumped in a car. Some one of the guests took us. And we rush over to GW Hospital there in, in the middle of D.C. And. Uh, I'm in a tuxedo, you know, and, and my wife's <laughs> yes. in like a, 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 a dress for a wedding, right? So we, you know, he's born and scariest moment of my life up to that time for sure. Mm. Uh, she went into to distress and he went into distress. And so they mm. were, long story short, it all ended up great. Uh, but they rushed her off, man. And I couldn't go in with him because it was like a crash, you know, C-section kind of thing. And, and I just was terrified that I wasn't going to see yeah. either one of them again. But I digress, you know, he's 10, you know, and I look at it now and, and I'm like, I just brought him home from the hospital, you know, and he's eight years from college. He's four years from needing to plan for where he's going to go to college. Right. And he won't be. I mean, I'm hoping and I feel like we have a very close relationship and hopefully all of my kids, you know, I'm going to Ned, I'm going to luck out. I'm going to have one kid that moves to New York. I'm going to have one that moves to Florida and I'm going to have one that stays in California and I'm going to have to move to Kansas to be, you know, <laughs> equally close to all of them. Yeah. And I really don't want to live in Kansas, Ned. So I'm hoping that they will sort of coalesce around at least a a region. But, you know, but it goes fast, you know. So, so you have three kids. So you have a 10 year old. And what are the other two ages? Uh, they're three years apart. So we got a seven year old, a 10 year old and a four year old. And okay. he just turned, he just turned four a couple days ago and he's a pistol. Uh, nice. And then boys, girls, what's the mix up? We have two boys and our girl in the middle. Oh, love it. And then done capping it off there at three. Oh, that's it, man. You know, we could have had, I could have had a bus full of my wife too, but you know, it goes back to that question of time and money and resources, yeah. right? Um, totally. And really the time piece. I mean, even if I was a multi multi-millionaire, which I'm not, uh, and had all the money that it takes. I there's a time piece, right? You want to have. We wanted to have enough time to spend with each of them individually, and, and to do the things that they love to do individually. And of course, as you know, it, it that 
quick and you're, you know, you're out of time in a hurry. So for us, three was a magic number, but you know, it's funny because we still, to this day, um, we, we, uh, you know, took steps not to be able to have kids anymore, but still to this day, we're like, Oh man, we could have more, you know, we, we, but because we just love kids and we love family and, you know, but yeah, we're, we're done. Yeah. Three, three is a good number. So in, in 60 seconds or so, you know, it's already kind of come up. You're a lawyer. What, what type of law do you practice? Um, and just kind of give us a little background in that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I was, I started out as an Navy JAG and I was primarily a federal prosecutor, uh, just prosecuting criminal, you know, crimes and, you know, uh, prosecuting crimes for the Navy left the Navy. And since then I've been, uh, the, the quickest way to describe it is I'm a energy and environmental and land use attorney. So I do anything that touches the land, anything on, in, over, under, anything from energy development projects, mining, oil and gas to, you know, project permitting and entitlements for that type of stuff, litigation, landfills, anything that touches the land really. Cool. Cool. Dig it. Okay. So I want to come back to to two questions uh, that kind of came up from our intro here. And one of them is this idea of how to allow your kids to suffer and fail when we live in a, you know, upper middle class. uh, We're not really worried about food. We're not really worried about a roof over our heads. I mean, I was just saying this the other night. My kids, we gathered around. We did a family meeting on Sunday night. Uh, We hadn't done one in maybe three, four weeks. And, um, we had dinner, right? I got five kids ages 10 to 16 and, um, I was feeling so grateful. Like we had dinner and there was leftovers and there's seven people in our house, right? Right. Dang, we're in a pretty good spot. If nobody was like, oh crap, I'm still hungry and there's no food and we're full and we put it in Ziploc baggies and put it in the fridge and we'll probably end up throwing that stuff away in two, three days, which tends to happen with leftovers sometimes. So in your opinion, you know, you've got three kids, they are younger, but they are stepping up into like middle school, high school is coming. In what ways do you foresee or do you now allow your kids to experience any kind of like suffering or what your life was like as a kid to help them not just become entitled? Like, what are your thoughts around how to, how to, how to accomplish that? Well, I mean, for the younger two, right, I mean, they're a little bit young still, but we try to fold it in with with Jackson, our oldest. You know, we try to have those discussions and just be mindful of that and say, yeah. hey, you know, you, you just need to be mindful of the fact that there are a lot of people that that don't have as, a, a, you know, a pleasant of, of a life as you do, right? And I think one of the ways we try to do that is, simple stuff like during the holidays, right? During Thanksgiving, during the holidays, we take that as an opportunity, if not throughout the rest of the year, but certainly in times like this, we say, look, we're going to go, we're going to go to the store and we're going to purchase presents. You know, you're going to purchase presents for somebody else, you know, or we'll give them, you know, we'll give them a little budget and we'll say, look, this is for somebody else. You know, this is for, uh, you know, tell them how old the kid is or whatever. And we, we just try to find, and be intentional about showing them and having them not only understand that there are a lot of people in this world that, that, you know, are less fortunate, but more than that, you know, I believe that, you know, to whom much is given much is required. And this country is amazing, right? We've got this amazing country and, and it's not guaranteed that we're going to have equality of results, but it is guaranteed that we're going to have equality of opportunity. Mm. And, Hey, look, we, you know, you can be anything you want to be in this country and in the, you know, but you have a responsibility because you've been very blessed. You know, you've, you've had things break your way. So you need to find opportunities to go and be a blessing to people and be helpful to people and find a way to make your community better. Whether that is going to, you know, give a helping hand to somebody who's a little less fortunate and can use some help or whether it's just something as simple as saying, Hey, I'm going to go clean up my local part, whatever it is, right? It doesn't matter what it is, but it's just about being intentional to say, I have a responsibility to make my country, my community a better place. And that never starts too young, right? I mean, we, we start that with our kids already and say, look here, this is your country. You have to own it. This is your community. And if you want it to be better, and there's always ways to make it better, 
you have to own that and you have to say, what can I do now in my life, even at 10? How, I mean, I don't have a successful business. I'm not a multimillionaire, so I can't go and, you know, fund X, Y, and Z maybe one day, right? But what can I do today? I can go pick up my park. I can go, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And so we try to be intentional with them, you know. Dude, I love it. I mean, just your, you know, you kind of, I asked you the question, you kind of went into it, but then it was like, it was clearly a passion to you that you love our country, that you love the opportunity, that you don't have any entitlement in you. And I feel like that alone, just that deep belief that you have will be passed on to your kids. Um, super rad. Love it. Okay. So my next question that came up from the kind of the intro was you're about to turn 42. You just, you know, you just turned 40. I think that a majority of the listeners to the podcast are kind of be between that like 35 and 45 range. And I think that there's some kind of like, I'm 39, I'll be 40 in next July or July. Right. So is there any shifts or any transformation or any, anything you'd say to like the 35 year old version of yourself as you're kind of stepping into this new season of I'm a man, I'm 40, I've arrived. Anything you'd say to that 35 year old self to, to prepare them for their way or help them figure their stuff out a little sooner. Oh man, the first thing I would say to myself at 35 is just keep going. Mm. You're, you're doing, you know, have confidence in yourself. I mean, I, I did, right, because I grew up in a, in a loving family that sort of taught me confidence and fostered confidence. But I would just say keep going and surround yourself with amazing people who, who build you up. And, you know, you never want to be the smartest person in your group. Right. Mm. I've got a, a great group of guys that um, I've had a couple of groups. You know, I have primarily two groups of friends that are very close to me. I have my college friends and there they're four of us, you know, five of us. And we all went to school together. We've all been in each other's weddings and, and whatnot. And most of them live back in D.C. Uh, and I, I've kind of gone gone off. But we still have happy hours. We still talk on a regular basis. But. You know, there we all are. We all complement one another, right? They're all very smart in their own way, and I won't bore you with their resumes. But they're phenomenal, phenomenal people. You know, and I'm better because mm-hmm. I have them as friends, right? I'm better because, and we don't agree. We don't all agree politically. We don't all agree on you know every aspect of of you know social life. The, all of those pieces of the puzzle. But I don't surround myself with people who provide me with an echo chamber. I go out of my way to find people who are different, right? Who disagree and who are smart, right? And I, I go into these, and I would say that to my 35 year old self, you know, don't surround yourself with people who just are just like you look just like you do have your same experiences and agree with you on everything because that's not going to help you grow. Right. You, you got to be around. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be around people that are going to push you and say and challenge you and challenge, you know, when you say something that doesn't square up or that's not well sourced, whatever, you know, they'll they'll challenge you on it. Right. And I've got another group of friends that I deployed with whenever I deployed Mm. with the Navy. They it it, that's a different group. Right. But it's the same way. Right. They we push each other. And at the, the common core between each of those groups is that no matter what happens, right, we know that we love each other and care for each other, and we don't really, it's unconditional, right, just like it is with your family and your kids and your wife. It. I don't have to be anything in particular for those groups of people. I know they'd have my back and be supportive of me no matter what, and the same goes for me. If one of them called me from jail and said, hey, I, I need some bail money or I need a lawyer, you know, yeah. I would just go. That, that would be, I'd mobilize, right? I would immediately take action on their behalf. And I think that that's what I would say, not only to my 35 year old self, but to my kids, right? Surround yourself with those kind of people that will yeah. push you and challenge you uh, and support you and, and lift you up. If you come out of a conversation with somebody and, you know, you feel dragged down and you feel negative and you feel just, ugh, you know, cut those people out of your life, Right. It's, it's one thing to be helpful, but if you find every time you interact with somebody, it's just a draining experience, man, life's too short. You, you got to replace those people. And I don't mean that to sound callous, but, you know, and you got to check yourself too, right? I mean, we all have mm, bad days. Great point. 
I mean, I've had moments like that too, where I've come out of conversations with my group and I, I'm just having a crummy day. Right. And I'm, you yeah. know, nothing's going right. You know, my elevator pitch is that I'm a father, a husband, a Navy guy, a JAG and a lawyer. Right. And I've had days where I fail at every single aspect of my life. I fail as a naval officer. I fail as a father. I fail as a husband. I fail as a lawyer. And and everything is not going well. You know, <laughs> not in a catastrophic way, just a yeah. crummy day sort of way, right? That was my yesterday. Uh, oh, man, it happens all the time. But, you know, and I've had those conversations with my friends and I come out of it and I'm like, man, I was the drag. Mm. You know, I was. I was the drain, yeah. you know, and I got to call my group back and, and say, Hey man, I'm, you know, and a lot of time they'll check me right on it. And that's yeah. a good thing about your group. You want that group that says, Hey man, you're, you, you need to square yourself away. Right. You know, that's, I don't know what's going on in your day, but you know, you, you need to turn away, turn around how you're looking at things. Right. Um, and, but sometimes, you know, they're, they're loving and they're kind and they don't say anything. And then I re- will realize and say, man, Hey, I got to, I got to call them back and say, I'm sorry for being a drag. But I guess my point is don't surround yourself with people that are a drag and don't be the drag. And you're yeah. right. If you're if go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, I think this is really critical for men, especially at our age. And I mean, I guess at any age really, but you know, you were fortunate enough to go to college and meet some great dudes and then to join the Navy and meet some great dudes. And in both those scenarios, you had struggle, right? There was time, there was some sort of thing connecting you. And then there was struggle inside of that, that created a, a bond, a connection that like you and I will never have. Cause I didn't go to college with you. I don't know what that was like. You and I didn't deploy together. So we don't have that connection. So I, I wonder for a lot of dudes, how do they go get that how do they go create that? Because I think there are a lot of guys sitting around going, man, I don't have a group of homies that are pushing me or that I'm pushing. I maybe have the same old friends and we're doing the same old stupid things or I just have my wife's friends, husbands that I hang out with and small talk with. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any thoughts, suggestions of, of a dude who's like, man, I want to level up, but I don't have that. You know, it's like I'm in a couple groups and I pay to be in those groups. You know what I mean? Um because they're business related or whatever, but do you have any thoughts around encouraging a dude who's maybe 35 to go find, make, create that group? Yeah, dude. And you know, and I I think that's a great point. And and one, I think it starts by just being open and attuned to what life brings your way. Mm. Right. And you you just don't know what relationships are going to develop. Right. And I'll just be, let's just, let's just use a hypothetical, right. You and I, we don't know each other very well. We, we haven't spent time together, but who knows, man? I mean, you don't, you don't know. I mean, we might develop from this podcast. We might decide, Hey man, this is, this is a dude that I just feel a connection with and I'm, I'm going to add into his life and he's going to add into mine. And you just, you just stay open to that possibility that you may, you know, and I tell my son all the time, my oldest, you know, I will tell the others, you know, we've moved a lot and mm-hmm. I tell him, you know, you never know what's going to happen. We may move again. We may or may not. And you may leave friends. But the reality is we love our friends. We care for our friends. But you may have not met the best friends in your life yet. They they may be out there waiting for you to come into their lives. So you have to be attuned to that. And so how do you find those groups? I think it starts by just saying, hey, man, I'm open to new friendships. And then finding what you're passionate about, Right. You know, one of the things that's new for me is like at this point in my wife and I's sort of journey, we're looking at maybe, you know, in the near future, trying to buy some some rental properties, some investment properties, you know, for our retirement and things like that. And so I've started getting into, you know, self-improvement and, and learning about investing in, in rental mm-hmm. properties and things like that. And there's all kinds of groups, man. I mean, yeah. you just you just have to kind of think about what am I passionate about? And then find a group that is also passionate about the same things you're passionate about. And I, I just threw out an example of retail, you know, real estate investing, but it could be anything, you know. I think that's a great point, though. Yeah, I think that's a great point in a, a statement that you just made that I think, whoa, what if what if at 30, 35, 40, 45, like maybe I haven't met some of my best friends yet. And the only way that that's going to happen is if I'm, you, you said, you know, in tune and open to it. So am I open to a new relationship? And I think a lot of us dudes are caught up in our routine where we're like, I'm fine. 
right? I'm fine. I got my headphones in at the gym or wherever. I got my, you know, I show up at church or I don't, you know, like I show up at these places where there is opportunity to create relationship, but I'm fine. I'm not open. And so I think if you don't feel as though you have, if you're listening to this and you feel like you don't have a group of dudes that you could call right now, you know, I like to call it your bury a body buddy, right? I could call you at 2am. We'll go bury somebody and you're not going to say anything about it. If you don't have that, be open to it. Just open your heart, your mind, your soul to it, and then start conversations that would lead towards deeper relationship connection for you. Because the reality is, is I think us men need that desperately. Um, oh, no I'm doubt. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Say what you're going to say, and then I'm going to shift. Into no, no, I was just going to say my wife gives me a hard time all the time about, you know, I'll talk to my my buddies and I don't know if it's a function of memory or what, but I'll get off of a happy hour with one of my groups of buddies and, and she'll say, well, what's going on in their lives and what, what is the, you know, what's happening here and tell me about this and tell me about that. And I, I don't know. We talked about politics. I don't know. I don't I mean, it seems like everything's going great. <laughs> we connected. We had fun. I don't need to remember it all. Yeah. That's but good. yeah, I think it's all about being open, man, and and you know, really having a heart and trying to foster that heart for others, right? And kind of being in tune and and when somebody looks like they're down, I mean, being intentional. I mean, I'm one yeah. of the guys in my group, and I think my friends would tell you that I'm, and I don't mean this to sound um, self-aggrandizing, right? But I I intentionally go out of my way to call on birthdays and not just do mm. a social media. Right. I, I call. I, I set up cool. happy hours. Right. And try to be that driving force to say, hey, we got to get together. What's going on with you? You know, I want, if somebody comes into my mind, if something pops into my head, some somebody I haven't talked to, man, I'll just reach out to him and say, hey, I don't know what's going on. I just want you to know I was thinking about you, that I care about you. Anything I can do for you. You know, and I think that when you start to put into others and invest into others, man, you know, call it whatever you want, however you think it happens and, and however it breaks down. I mean, that stuff will come back to you, right? I don't mean to get Eastern philosophical. I just, you know, I think you just, when you start putting into others, it, it, it will energize you. For sure. For sure. We were made for connection. And, and I just don't think that we create enough time and space for that to happen. Um, okay. So I'm going to jump into some questions about fatherhood. When did you embrace fatherhood? At what point? Okay. So it's like you're living on the East coast. Uh, you have your first kid. It was a scare. Um, at what point did you go, wow, fatherhood is a really big deal. And I am going to embrace the adventure of it. Oh man, I don't know if it's just because I am consistently naive, but you know, I never had that moment where I, kind of panicked and was like, Oh, I just don't know if we're ready. I, I, you know, my attitude about fatherhood has always been, and I tell this to young guys, anybody, I guess if they ask, but like, you know, young guys are starting families, you know, you just have to protect them, feed them, change their diaper, put a roof over their head, keep them out of the elements and realize that you're going to screw up and they're going to screw up. And, you know, there's no perfect time to be a parent. I mean, there's no, there obviously that it, you know, things are easier if you plan ahead and, you know, you, you have right, some right, amount right. of finances and, you know, uh, but there's no perfect time to be a parent. You just have to decide I, I want to be a parent or even if it was accidental and you say, well, I don't know if I do want to be a parent. Well, you just kind of move forward, you know, you just drive forward. And because the, you know, somebody told me not to, analogize kids to horses but you know i was working on a ranch whenever i was younger at one point and somebody told me you know you got to take care of these animals i was very young you got to take care of these animals because they can't feed themselves they can't you know they can't protect themselves from predators and you know they can't get water babies are the same way right i mean my babies can't protect themselves at the end of the day you just have to whether you're ready or not you just have to say i love my kids and i'm gonna make sure they have what they need and we're going to figure it out together. I mean, I'm constantly learning and my kids are constantly teaching me, mm, you know, I'll, I'll have days where, yeah, I'll have days where I'll, you know, try to be the best example of myself as I, that I can for my kids. And it just doesn't go the way I want it to go. Or, you know, I don't react the way I want to react. And, you know, but I think that's a, you know, something that I constantly try to do when I screw up. And if I, you know, don't, 
present the best version of a father that I want to present to my kids, I apologize. You know, I go to my kids and I'm like, Hey, I, I really botched that up. You know, I didn't, didn't mean to shout or I didn't mean to, you know, I didn't mean to react the way that I reacted. And and here's how I want you to, here's how I should have reacted. Right. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think the answer to your question for me is I never really had that moment. I just knew I wanted to be a dad. Uh, and, you know, my wife and I, we knew when we got married, we wanted to have a little bit of time to ourselves. So we just kind of waited about a year and, and then started, you know, trying to have kids. And, um, you know, here we are 15 years later, we got three beautiful kids and it just, you know, it, it's been a beautiful, amazing ride. And, and every day is new. Yeah. 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 I love it. So you made a comment just now. You said, I knew I wanted to be a dad. So even in your twenties, did you know, Hey, I, I want to be a dad. This is exciting. This is something I'm looking forward to one day. Oh, heck yeah, man. I mean, and I, why, why? Yeah, oh, for sure. well, I had a, you know, my, I, I had, a, I have a wonderful dad and I had an amazing grandfather who passed away a few years back, who mm-hmm. was the biggest single influence in my life from a fatherhood standpoint. And just our lives. I mean, they, I used to rodeo when I was a kid, I used to ride bulls and they went to every, my grandmother and my grandfather went to every rodeo I ever had, except for one, because I begged them to let me go by myself. Right. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be, I wanted to be bigger, right. I want to be grown up and I wanted to go off by myself. So funny story, man, we, I head out from Houston and we're going all the way down to the bottom of Texas, down by the border in Mexico. I went with a, uh, acquaintance, a rodeo acquaintance of my, my grandparents said, okay, fine. How old are you just for context? Uh, I was, uh, 16 probably. Okay. And, uh, so we leave and I get down to this rodeo in Mercedes, Texas. And I, we got there way early and I'm just kind of banging around behind the bucking chutes and kind of hanging out, waiting for things to start. Stands start to fill up and whatnot. And I look up at the very top corner, you know, hidden away in the very top of these grandstands. My grandmother, and my grandfather were there. Oh my gosh. And they, they, and they just, so what, and you know, they just didn't want to miss it, man. Mm. You know, and it wasn't, and they wanted me to feel, you know, that I was doing it on my own and they didn't want it to feel like they were there kind of watching me, but they just didn't want to miss it, you know, and they, headed out immediately after we left, they must've gotten the car and just kind of followed along because they were there, you know, before the rodeo started. Right. And it was hundreds of miles away from Houston. Um, turns out. So they, they ended up going back home and I went to another one sort of by myself, but that's the only one they missed the, the second one of that, that weekend. But for me, you know, looking back on those times that, that was just great. I mean, and the wonderful memories we had Christmases, all, you know, just everything that goes into life, man. And I just knew that that I wanted to have a family and, hmm. you know, that I wanted to be a dad uh, because that to me was just something that I knew I wanted to do and to share with, you know, my wife and my family. And Yeah, it's so, so good, man, because it's such an incredible opportunity. And, you know, I hear it in your voice and even as like we, before we hit record, just that your family means so much to you, like you're not more focused on career or status or whatever that family really ultimately is, is what is fulfilling. Tell me one or two more things about your grandfather. So you said he, you know, he's the single most influential father figure to you. Tell me one or two more things about him. Oh man. He was just the, the kindest, most gentle, nicest, sweetest person, uh, you know, that I've ever met and calmer even than my wife. I I told you, mentioned earlier, my wife's the best person I've ever known, but my wife is, you know, my grandfather was calmer than my, you know, my wife is who's amazing, but you know, she'll get, yeah, she's not as calm as my grandfather in a very (laughs) wonderful way. But my grandfather was like this Zen Buddha type of a dude, you know, that uh, as far as calmness goes, and he just loved his family, man. And Mm. he didn't have, he worked so hard, you know, to make sure that I could have a shot at life, right? To put me in a position to have a chance to to accomplish my dreams because he didn't, I mean, he worked so hard and didn't comparatively, I mean, he didn't, he made so little financially. Yeah. Uh, and he had a uh, a business that he started in the early, in the seventies, I think it was, he was a, a engineer and he built machinery. And a lot of it in Houston was related to, you know, oil and gas and 
different things like that, manufacturing, stuff like that. But when the oil prices dropped out in the early 80s in Houston, my grandfather tells you, I can sum up my grandfather in this one little story. When the oil prices dropped out in the 80s in Houston, my grandfather's company was uh, almost, it was going bankrupt, going belly up. And instead of laying off his workers because it was Christmas, the holidays, Mm. he kept those people Right. I'm not suggesting that's a smart business decision, but for my grandfather, he didn't want to let those people go because he knew they had families. He cared for them. Right. And so ultimately the company went under, you know, and my grandfather to this, you know, all the rest of his life, he would talk about how he was, you know, he should have done things differently. But, you know, the reality was that was who he was as a person. He just cared about people. And, you know, when I decided in nine, when 9-11 happened, it completely changed the course of my life, hmm. right? It sort of focused up what I wanted to do. And I went, stopped competing in, in rodeo and, and whatnot and said, hey, I want to go into, you know, or I thought, you know, was the goal was to go to work for like the intelligence services, things like that, uh, and, you know, help protect the country. And so I wanted to go to the best schools I could possibly go to for international affairs, languages. Uh, and to sort of feed into the intelligence community. And I knew that I wanted to go to D.C., right? I either want to go to Georgetown or Johns Hopkins or GW mm-hmm. because they, have, they still do have phenomenal international affairs programs, right? And it's the heart of everything there in D.C., certainly for the intelligence community. But I was, you know, I was not affluent, right? I didn't have an Ivy League pedigree. I didn't have the money for that, right? I didn't know how I was going to pay for community college, let alone, you know, schools like that. But my grandfather, you know, begged, borrowed and did everything but steal to figure out how he could fund me going to, I went to Middlebury College two summers, which is a language, it's a liberal arts college in Vermont, but during the summer they shut down and they, it's a language school. Okay. And I went there for two summers and it's a, you know, expensive program. And my grandfather worked and worked and worked and just did wow. and funded it, wow. you know, and when I went off to GW, I got a, a partial academic scholarship, but still had to, I had to figure out how to live. I didn't have a job. I just went to school yeah. and my grandfather and grandmother paid half my rent and I had a roommate in college and, and they paid half my rent, paid my groceries, you know, and it, it was just to give me that chance. Yeah. How right. So, oh, it was, it was, I could, and I tell people all the time that, my grandfather, if it hadn't been for my grandfather and my grandmother, you know, I, I wouldn't have, I would not be living the life I am today because I just, w- my life would not have had the trajectory that it has mm-hmm. because I wouldn't have the opportunities. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, what a great reminder, uh, just the importance of a grandfather and grandmother too. But as we think about, you know, one day we'll be grandfathers the influence, you know, that we can have on our grandchildren is significant. I mean, especially since at that age, we hopefully, fingers crossed, should be at a place where we have a bit more time and money. But even for your grandfather, who maybe didn't have the more time, the more money, he went and figured out how he could support you. He still had this conviction that, uh, you know, fatherhood leading his children, grandchildren was the most important thing in his life. Um, and I love that. I, I wonder what that would look like if more of our grandparents, one, were invited in, okay, because I don't want to just put it on them that they're off sailing on the sunset, you know, but if we were to invite them to speak into our lives a bit more. Well, I'll tell you too, dude, you know, when you, when you think about it and, and why do I work and continue to work now, uh, you know, I would rather just hang out with my kids. Right. I mean, I do enjoy my job, so don't get me wrong. I, I love my professional pursuits and it, it completes me and makes me a whole as a person to have something to go after professionally. But one of the reasons that we drive so hard, my wife and I continue to drive from a financial perspective, is so that we don't have to work until we're 70. Right. So that so that I can plan ahead and my wife and I can plan ahead for a lot of things. Right. Maybe our kids hit a rough patch when they get older, maybe they, maybe they need to come back home, right? Maybe they need financial help. Maybe their kids need financial help. I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting, I hope this happens, but 
I may have to raise a grandchild. I mean, I'm, I'm mm. not anticipating that. Right. But, but you want to be in a position. Be, yeah. I want to be able to say, look, one, if everything goes amazing and, and you guys are doing your thing, we want to be a part of it. So if they move off, if my kids move, man, I love the West coast in California, but if my kids move to Pennsylvania, I'm going to Pennsylvania, yeah. you know? Yeah. And cause I want to be around my grandkids. You know, and I want to be financially secure enough that I have Mm -hmm. time to go to their schools and go to their baseball games and coach Little League. Right. And continue to be involved and say, hey, look, we want to help you guys talking about our kids. Right. My wife and I have this goal and we say, look, when our kids start having kids, we want to live close enough that we can make their lives easier because being a parent's tough. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be close enough that we can say, hey, you guys go on a date night. We're going to babysit you know, or we're going to, you know, we're going to help out with this or that or the other thing. But I think that's all, you know, goes into just planning ahead and saying, what kind of lives do we want to have, not only as parents, but as, you know, hopefully we stay healthy, right? And and we get to be yeah. grandparents, maybe grandparents. How do we want that to look, right? And what do we have to do today to make sure that we plant those seeds so that it comes to fruition? And when we are 50, 60, 65, that we've done what we need to do to make sure we can have those things. Right. Mm. So that's what drives so us good. today. Yeah. So good to have that, that future perspective. Um, and that, you know, like what we're doing today matters. So Jared, this podcast is called fatherhood field notes. You're already doing it. Just opening up your life's field notes, sharing with us, um, stories, uh, victories, you know, uh, perspective, the mantra behind it is rebel and create. And what that is, is what's something that you are rebelling against so that you can create something out of that. So it could be as simple as like, I'm rebelling against having my phone at the dinner table so that I can create great dinner conversations or whatever. But as a man, I need something to fight for, but not just to be destructive, to create something out of it. So when you hear that mantra, rebel and create, what's something that you are rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that? Well, ultimately, what I hope to create is really strong kids, you know, and not strong kids, but very strong adults, Mm. you know, and, you know, the idea that I'm kind of a couple of things, I guess, rebelling against one is that my main contribution to my wife and my kids is money, right? Uh, Obviously, financial support and, and helping to support my family, family financially is certainly a big part of my contribution. But the other thing is to say, look, you know, it's more than just this commitment until they're 18. My commitment to my kids goes all the way through their lives, hmm. you know, until I cross over. Right. Because one of these days, you know, my kids, they're not going to be, you know, my role as a father changes and will change all their lives. Right. Right now. I mean, when it started out, my role was to make sure they were fed and clothed and had clean diapers. They don't need that anymore. My role now is making sure that they, you know, learn how to navigate early childhood. Right. But one of these days, my son or my daughter, one of either one of my sons or my daughter may end up being the CEO of a Fortune 100 company. They may end up being a successful doctor, a lawyer or builder. They might. Who knows what they're going to be? But my role in their lives at that day will be very different. They're not mm-hmm. going to need me to tell them what to do and where to go and how to get from A to B. If I've done my job now, and help to prepare them all their lives to follow their own hearts and, and know how to set goals and plan for their own futures, then I will have done my job because then they'll say, hey, I know how to get from A to B, but I want now for you to be my counselor. You know, I need you to be my trusted confidant when I can't really trust in a business context. I don't want to talk about these very sensitive things with everybody, but I'm going to talk about it with you because I know you're smart. I know you love me more than anything. So you're my confidant now. I'll make the decision because it's my call and I'm smart enough and I'm capable enough to make it because you made me that you and mom made me strong enough to handle anything Mm. in the world. But now you're my confidant. Right. And those roles evolve. Right. Heck, man, if I get old enough, it may reverse and I may and my kids may be taking care of me, man, and I may get who knows. And if I've done my job, then they will. I, I just don't know. Right. But my job is to prepare them. And so, you know, I'm, I rebel against this notion that my contribution to my kids is now. And whenever they, you know, once they go off to college, I've done my job and now I can go to Paris. 
right? Yes. Or, or wherever. Yeah. Oh, dude, so good. So the two things I really heard is the thing you're rebelling against is this idea. You just reiterated it, that it's just about right now when they're 18, I'm done. So we're rebelling against that. And then we're rebelling against my only contribution is financial. It's far more than, than financial. And I love this aspect of your roles changing. Any thoughts around how to transition from one role to another? Um, you know, in thinking about your future roles, do you foresee any struggle, tension uh, from, from your role shifting from one to another? Oh, for sure. Right. And I, and I, and I still am trying to figure out how I'm going to navigate it myself because, you know, we want as parents, I'm sure, I think there's this innate sort of built in piece of being a parent where you see your kids as those little babies, right. That, that need you to tell them what to do and guide them on, you know, to keep them safe and protected. But as they start to grow, and they don't need you to make all those decisions, right? You need to, at that point, say, hey, I'm going to let you make more and more decisions because if yeah. they don't realize they can make the decisions, they won't have the confidence that they're going to do it right. Then if I kick the bucket and I'm not here, you know, something happens, they're going to say, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? I don't have my compass. My goal is to teach my kids how to be that compass and, mm. and follow their own Right. Yep. Because I've been there and, and, you know, I want for them one of these days, whenever I'm not around and, and when I cross over, I want like I still to this day, man, I can hear it. it doesn't matter what I'm going through in my life, professionally, personally. If I have a tough decision I have to make, I know exactly what my grandfather would say. I know it. Be, and I can hear him saying it. You know, if I was to have a conversation with him, you know, I know what he would say. And it would start out by saying, hey, I love you. I'm proud of you. You know, you you have everything you need inside of you to to make this call. Mm. You know, and I think that's what I want for my kids to say, no matter what happens, you will have what it takes. You will be prepared and you will if you follow your heart, you will not ever go down the wrong path. Mm. Right. So to have the courage to do that, because sometimes your heart tells you to do something that you don't want to do. You know, I mean, that's that's the hardest part. (laughs) When, when your heart's telling you, no, you need to go this way, but mm-hmm. you, you really don't want to do that. Yeah. Right. Uh, and to have the courage to do that. But I think, you know, the other thing that I would say is that, you know, I, I my main thing, and I didn't finish this thought. So I want, if you don't mind, I'll go back to please. one more main thing yeah, about the, what am I rebelling against? And it's this idea that you have to prepare your kids to be comfortable because I think this world right now, mm. man, it's always been this way, but the goal is not to be comfortable. The goal is not to go through life and never, you know, and, and constantly being offended by things. And I, I'm not getting, I'm not meaning to sound like the political correctness police. I know that's, that's a buzzword now. Everybody's, you know, all up in arms about political correctness, but I just want my kids to be strong enough to realize that it's okay to be offended, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to, hear things you don't agree with. In fact, you should, you should seek that out. <laughs> you should find, you know, things that make you uncomfortable mm. and ask yourself, why does this make me uncomfortable? Right. And, and not be afraid to, to lean into being uncomfortable and figuring out what that means to you and how that will help you grow because you're never going to grow being comfortable. Comfortable yeah. is a reward, right? I mean, co- being comfortable is a reward of sort of a, of a battle, right. Of, right. A, of a growth. Sure. Process. Yeah. Uh, and so I want them to, you know, constantly, and even to me, man, today I've been recently recoding a habit that I've been trying to recode for a long time. And I've had Navy SEAL buddies and, uh, you know, that have said, Oh man, you got to get up earlier. You know, you, you got to get up earlier and, and five o'clock, man, you need to be up. You need to be working out. And I've said, man, I really want to do that, but I haven't ever been able to recode it. Right. But I've started to recode that because I just don't have enough time in that day, in my day to do the things that I just want to do for just me. Right. right? And that's not to say I don't love doing the things I do for my family, but I'm a better person for my family. If I can center myself and take a couple hours to read something I want to read or prepare for something professionally or meditate or whatever, right. Work out. And so I started getting up, man, at 4.45, 5 o'clock, 
Nice. Uh, and and that's not comfortable, dude. I, I'm not generally a person who wants to get up at 445. But I think my point is that, you know, I want them to constantly be put for the rest of their lives, pushing to be uncomfortable and finding aspects of their lives that they can make better and, yeah. and get out of that comfort zone all the time. Right. Uh, so anyway, I, uh, I kind of went off on a pig trail with you, man. Sorry, I didn't mean to no, take it back. No, I think it. you're 100% right. I think that it's so easy to be comfortable. Um, and I think that we need to put ourselves in situations where we're uncomfortable, even if it is somewhat of like a, you know, like I woke up early. You know, it's not like you're, you're reenlisting to go to war, but you're finding ways to make yourself uncomfortable so that you can have this tension of, not just being comfortable all the time, because when we're comfortable, that's where we mess up. That's where we make mistakes. That's where we, we become soft. Um, and we don't show we're, we were made to be warriors. We were made to fight for our wife. We were made to fight for our kids. And sometimes in our world, I, I just agree with you that we can get too comfortable and then we become lax and we don't show up for our, our families. Well, so with that in mind, I, I'm going to ask you my last question, JR, and it's around legacy. And I, I hear it so much in your voice. And I love, love just the idea of roles and the idea of being there and the example your grandfather gave and um, just this, this, it's already being passed down. It's really cool to see. But imagine 40 years from now, you are looking into the, the homes of your children and they're at that kind of 45 to 50 year range, kind of like where we're sitting. What is it that you're going to see played out in their homes um, based on the, you know, you brought it up, what you did today, how you showed up today, how you're going to show up tomorrow. What do you see inside their homes? And you can just kind of like smile on your face and okay, my job, my, I did my job here. Oh man, that's a tough one, you know, but I, one, I hope that we're all together, right? I hope that mm -hmm. we've built those bonds that we enjoy being together, right? You know, I, I still, to this day, we had a, a birthday party for my youngest son the other day, and we're lucky enough to live close by some of my extended family um, here, you know, now. And, you know, several of them came to the birthday party and they, it was my cousins that I grew up with. You know, and so I, I hope that we're together. I hope that we like to be together, spend time together, cousins, you know, aunts and uncles, things like that. Uh, so I hope we're together. But, you know, I think the biggest legacy that I would like to leave to my kids is, you know, when I look back that, you know, hopefully they'll say some version of, you know, my mom and dad or my grandfather and grandmother, they inspired me to articulate my dreams. Right. And not only that, inspired me to be a goal setter, a dream builder, but then to say, okay, they gave me the tools to both succeed and to fail successfully. Right. And obviously that we loved and supported them unconditionally, but I, you know, I've learned more and I tell my kids, all three of them, uh, again, the oldest one's kind of catching it first cause he's older, but, you know, tell them that, you know, don't be afraid to fail. I mean, I fail constantly. If you're not failing, you're not, you're not pushing yourself yeah, you're enough. Not pushing right? yourself hard enough. Yeah. That's not to say you want to go to failure constantly and, you know, tear yourself up mentally and emotionally because you're just driving so hard that, you know, you're, you're in a constant state of failure. That's not what I mean. But don't be afraid of leaning into that failure because I've learned so much from my failures. Man, I've had professional and personal failures where, I, man, I've gotten knocked onto the mat, you yeah. know. And it was, it's rough when you have those professional and personal failures, but you have to say, what can I learn from this? Right. How's this going to make me better? How's it going to make me stronger? Uh, and so I hope that my kids and my grandkids, when we look into their homes in the future, will say, you know, my parents and grandparents, they taught me to build goals, set goals, dream big. There's nothing too big for me to accomplish and that I have what it takes to do it. And that I should, you know, be myself. I mean, I want my kids and grandkids to never be afraid to just be who they are, right? And not not mold themselves into something because they think the world wants that from them or because they think that that's what they should present or that that's what they should be or that that's the career that they should pursue. You know, and I tell my son all the time, I'm a lawyer, but, you know, I I don't care what you choose. I hope you choose something that will 
prepare you to have a financially secure life, you know, but I want for you to follow your passions. You know, you don't have to be anything. You don't have to play baseball because I like baseball. You don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to be a doctor. You can be a builder. You can be an artist. You can be president. You can be anything you want, but you have to plan ahead and look at who's doing that now. Who is that? Who do you want to emulate and who's doing life successfully the way you think you want to do it and be that and look at how they got there and make plans now, you know, to get where you want to go, whatever that may be. And I hope that my kids and grandkids just, you know, are well-rounded and strong mentally and physically to say, here's who I am. And I surround myself with people that love me and care about me. And that's enough for me. I don't need to make everybody in the world happy as long as I'm making myself happy and making my community better, right? Making my world better um, and taking care of my family, right? And loving, loving my family, loving my friends, loving my community. And I think that'll make me happy, man. If I can get to that point in our lives and our careers, and even if I'm not lucky enough to get there, man, I mean, who knows? We're none of us promise tomorrow, you know, but, and I'll tell, you know, my oldest again, because I don't want to scare the other two because they're babies. I've, I've told my son Jackson, you know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it, I could, I could get hit by a bus, you know, uh, anytime. And, you know, I don't want to make you nervous, but you have what it takes. If, mm-hmm. if something happens, and I don't wake up yeah. and I'm not here. You will make it because you have what it takes. You're strong. You're a good, kind, sweet, amazing person. Right. And you will make it. Life's not going to be easy, but that's always true. Right. Right. But you you can't be afraid of things not being easy. A lot of people want things easy, but that's not the people that you will never become exceptional. And whatever I want for my kids, I want them to be exceptional in their own right. Not because I need it. Yeah. Right. I, I, I want them to pursue it for themselves. Right. Whatever that looks like for them. I want them to pursue excellence and, and to be exceptional. But you never will get that if you're if you're pursuing mediocrity and always wanting to be comfortable and never getting out of your comfort zone and never failing. Right. You will never. I mean, you may have a you just existing. Right. And I'm not knocking people that sometimes for some people, all they can manage to do is exist. And I don't right. and I know it. I, I don't. Know it. But the opportunity to be exceptional is there, and right, you you um, you have really spoken to my life today. I've been feeling um, my daughter who's sixteen. We've just been going, dude. She's a junior. She's going to be a senior. She's going to be out, you know, in a year and a half. And it's been somewhat, um, for lack of a better word, um, like scarce, you know. But your conversation about your role shifting and, and the opportunity as a grandfather, you've just made life feel so big and so grand. And and I love the way your grandfather was present. I want to be that way. Your perspective of like, I'm going to be there for my grandkids. I'm going to live next door. I'm going to be the one who's taken, you know, watch them while my, my kid goes out to dinner with their spouse, whatever. So you've made my life feel a lot bigger. I love your I love your own tenderness towards your wife and your kids and your desire for them to be exceptional. And really, I mean, even in your voice, like your ego is 100% out of it. This is just a deep love conviction you have for your family. And I, and I know that everybody could hear that. So JR, man, thank you for talking fatherhood. Thank you for being the man, husband, father, leader that you are. And thank you for sharing it with us today. It was super inspirational. And um, I just know that you're going to have massive impact on our world. And, and, and the way that you're going to do that is what rebelling creates all about is the way you show up for your family, the way I show up for my family, the way the next door neighbor shows up for his family. This is about taking care of what's been given to us. And you even kind of quoted it, but you know, to, to whom much has been given much is required. And if every man, if every father really looked at that, Hey, I got one kid, two kids, three kids, five kids, however many kids you have. If you looked at that as like a, a God given responsibility and you embraced it, our world would look different. And that's what my, my hope is in these conversations that each and every man who listens to this would go home and love his family the way JR does the way that I'm striving to. And we look back 500 years from now, our world would look different. And so thank you for being one of those guys. And uh, it's been really an honor to get to know you the last hour. 
Oh, of course, man. I could, I could, this has really charged me up too, man. And I, you know, I went to, to lunch with, with Jeff Goolsby a few weeks ago and I told him, I said, you know, and, and same thing for this podcast, right? I mean, life's really busy, right? We're all busy. Yeah. And I, even this week I was like, ah, geez, I don't know. You know, things are getting crazy as we're coming into the holiday, trying to square things away at work. And, but you know, this has really charged me up. Right. And I think that that is one of the reasons to go and find people that, that you can put into and, and draw out from, right? Yeah. Because it charges you up. And you've yeah. really pumped me up, man. And thanks for taking the time to, to chat. And I could talk with you for another hour, man. I, you know, seems like it flew by and it was great to chat with you for sure. Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family, you know, and friends and a wonderful holiday season. Yes, you as well, my friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Until next time. Man, I just love that conversation. It really helped me see my life in such a bigger way. I hope that you're able to walk away from this conversation with some real nuggets that you could apply to yourself and that you were inspired to be yourself for your family. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Oh, 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 oh,